because you're jumping back into the gut. Hey coach, welcome to the basketball podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at B-Ball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome Utah head coach Lynn Roberts to the Basketball Podcast. Roberts has helped the program to a number of firsts in a long time as the Utes jumped into the top 25 for the first time in a decade in 2018-19 and made their first NCAA tournament since 2011. Roberts has won over 300 games in her 20 years as a head coach after spending nine seasons at Pacific and four years at Chico State prior to coming to Utah. Coach Roberts, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on here. I'm excited to have you on here, and uh, I refreshed a little bit watching some synergy clips over the last few days, getting ready, and uh, just uh, again, I watched your team in the NCAA tournament, and then I went back, did a deeper dive. I just love how you guys play. I mean, the spacing, the decision making off a of ball screen and handoffs, and just a really modern, fun approach to basketball. Uh, just great to watch. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, I think as a coach, I, this is my 21st year as a head coach, which is kind of crazy. Uh, at the college level, I don't feel that old, but evidently I am. Um, and I've just learned, you know, I, I'm a nerd at heart. And so I, I love to just learn and and I just love basketball. I, I just think it's such a great game. Um, and as much of it is, as much as it is a player's game, which I really believe it is, uh, it's fun to to kind of come up with, you know, just different things, new things, challenge myself. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been fun. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, just again, I may be wrong in my interpretation, but what looks fun, especially for your players is they look to score all the time. Yeah. They're really good at being able to, uh, penetrate. And if they draw to find their teammates and that to me seems to be the fun part about playing offense nowadays is those two things, try and score. And if you don't score, you draw to find your teammates. Yeah. And it, you know, I, I think, Basketball is a really simple game. You know, the the objective is to score the basketball. How do you do that? You beat your man. Uh, if you beat your man and someone else helps, then you pass it to a teammate. Like it, it really is that simple. So how can we create opportunities for that? And our practices are, I think, different than other people's. Like we do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, we do a ton of shooting and uh, a lot of, you know, especially I've never coached men, but I know coaching women you know, if you tell them, okay, this is the play A to B, B to C, C to D, D to E, then they, they will go through the series without really understanding like, oh, I'm wide open here on the C catch. Um, so less about the specific quote unquote play and more about make plays. So I say that all the time, don't run a play, make a play. Um, and then we just do a huge focus on, on shot quality. So we are, philosophy my philosophy is take the first great shot we can now don't take a a a fast crappy one um take the first great shot we can and we do so much emphasis on shot quality and what is a great shot uh that they know and so there's the green light that they have to to shoot it and you're not going to make them all but if it's a great shot uh you can take them all night long well you brought up three things i want to talk about so we're going to dive deeper into some of those okay Basketball decisions supersede basketball plays. 
is how I phrase what you just said. Absolutely. And to me, that's what I see when I watch your team. Because obviously there's 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 uh, a bit of the structure that you can see in terms of whether it's a European ball screen continuity. There's the structure, but none of it looks structured. And to right. me, that's that's the modern offensive template is teach them a structure and then let them play unstructured because they're going to make basketball plays. Is, is that as simple as kind of how you approach it and teach it as well? Absolutely. And I think... You know, it's my job to put our personnel, the strengths of everybody, the weaknesses of everybody. We all have them. Uh, put them in a, in a in a position with, like you said, structure to where you know the 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 biggest thing. And if I say it to my team all the time, what is good offense? And they just recite back like robots spacing. So there is no wrong cut. There is no wrong if it if it creates spacing, right? And so it's like. Oh, do we go this way after we pass? I, I don't care. Just space it out. And then we get into just kind of our rhythm. And it is a European ball screen kind of, and I've adapted it a little bit uh, for our league and stuff, but it, it is, we they they know how to just get into it when something breaks down and it's predicated on spacing and pace. Um, you know, offenses like that, if you're if you're going slowly and the ball sticks, they're not very good. Uh, so the ball can't stick, meaning you can't hold on to it. You got to make a decision. I'm going to attack. I'm going to shoot. I'm going to pass as you catch it. Um, or, you know, if, if we can keep the ball moving, keep our players moving, th thus moving the defenders, um, it's pretty fun. And, and, you know, along a big part of that, Chris, though, is, is it, it's, it's absolutely predicated on unselfishness. And so, uh, unselfishness is is contagious. So if I have a good shot, but I pass it to you because you have a little bit better one, you're going to do the same thing next time down. You have a good one. You're going to pass it to me because I did the same. But the inversion of that is true too. If I take that good shot, even though I know you had a good one, a better one, then you're going to do the same thing. So unselfishness is contagious. And so is selfishness. And so we, uh, we chart all of that in terms of good passes. It doesn't have to be an assist. Is it a good pass? Um, we have a good pass rate. We, we do all of these things to try to not, we're not assist hunting. We're just trying to get the best shot we can. I'm glad you said that because that's my thing is unselfishness is, is something we want, but not to the point that we don't shoot the open shots that we actually right. have. Right. And that comes back to your point. And I know having coached around the world in many different levels that that's a problem. I mean, the greatest strength in coaching girls is that they listen. The greatest weakness in coaching girls is that they listen exactly. and sometimes they listen too literally instead of freeing them up. And that's been what I found with my daughters in that age group is the first thing I'm just trying to do is regardless of outcome is get them to make the decision. Yep. And I think you have to let them play mm -hmm. like, and I'm not saying necessarily five on five all the time, but you know, we do a lot of two on two, three on three, and you have to live with the mistakes and you teach as you go. You, you know, they make a mistake when you give them freedom. You can't get mad at them. You just teach them up like, OK, was that a good shot or a great shot? OK, could you have got a better one? OK, well, let's, you know, um, and then we celebrate anytime we do something great. We have in our practice, I'm not kidding, a cowbell. Uh, and so anytime we take a great shot, anytime there's a great hustle play, the cowbell goes crazy. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And then conversely, we have an air horn. Anytime you turn it over, anytime you take a death, we call them death shots, uh, then the air horn goes. And it's not, we're not stopping practice and yelling or stopping practice and celebrating, but it's just this kind of, it's almost like training dogs where, you know, the, the dog whistle, like they understand. Um, and it, it, it just kind of builds an energy that keeps practice moving. 
What great analysis. Yeah, I love that. I love that you play a lot. I was going to ask you about that. You must play a lot. Yep. And, and to, to, just to give perspective, I mean, you're not playing a lot just out of freedom. You're playing a lot out of these sequences and these these possibilities within what you're doing, whether the small sided games or the five on five. And that's where I say as a as a you know beautiful, beautiful basketball to watch that I can see the structure, but it's not structured. Right. And that's where it's really hard to scout too, right? Like absolutely. When when you've got versatile players that play positions, so they don't, they're not just a one trick pony or however you want to say it. Um, and then there's definitely structure, but we'll run different things all the time uh, within that structure and players then have the freedom to make a play. It's really hard to scout. Well, we're going to dive into some of the analytics and the, what you call the smart box score. Um, I, I just give people perspective per synergy, Utah finished number 13, all division one, 356 teams in offensive efficiency with a 0.917 points per possession. Uh, that's amazing. And I saw that on, on my own, but when I texted some coaches in your league that I know, the one remarkable thing that they both pointed out was how, even though you were that, you were also with top three in offensive rebound percentage. Mm-hmm. which is extra hard because those are counted per synergy as extra possessions, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and, you know, that's rebound, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and rebound, that was the one thing that we weren't very good at the year before. And it just became, we start every practice, every practice with rebounding. Um, even the day before, if we, you know, if we have two games in a row or whatever, like we're going to start with a physical competitive rebounding drill just to set the tone. But rebounding is, is, you know, it's desire. Yes, physical attributes help. Uh, but if you're tough and and you want to be a good rebounder, you can. And so it was just a non-negotiable. If you want to play, you're going to rebound. If you don't rebound, you won't play. And there's no greater motivator than than playing time. Um, but in terms of the the offensive efficiency, you know, we had a kind of a rummy year the year before. We had d- done pretty well, to be honest. And then the, the, I just had a I had to really step back and say, what are we doing? Um, and sometimes, you know, we'll get a, a, a four-star player and Stanford gets the five-star player. Well, if you just put them in a hundred yard sprint, we're probably not going to win. So how can I tweak the game to win that game versus winning the head-to-head battle? If that makes sense. Yeah. So it's, if you can't win the game you're in, you got to change the game kind of. Uh, and so I just, we, you know, did a really, really deep dive on what is a really good PAC 12 team. What are they doing? Um, what are the things that across the board, one through 12 and, you know, or what are the things that, that attribute to winning? And so much of it is this, uh, effective field goal percentage, um, and making sure that you're not turning it over, um, and that you're winning the chances battle. And I know you and I have talked about that a little bit, but, you know, in chances, meaning if you turn it over, you're giving them more. If you rebound, you're giving yourself more. Um, and so, you know, how hard can we play, how smart can we play so that we're winning the chances game? Cause if we shot it well enough. We had enough offensive firepower that if we had more chances than you, we give ourselves a really good shot of winning. Um, and so that's where it came down to. So intuitively or with analytics, most coaches, obviously defensive rebound percentage, they'd be on board with that. But again, what's the outlier for you guys is the offensive rebounding. And then when I looked at the chart you shared with me, like the most correlated with performance, I mean, defensive rebound percentage and offensive rebounding percentage were in the top four. Yeah. So uh, especially offensive rebounding, can you just talk about, again, how you create that mindset and then how you develop that? You already said you do defense or you do rebounding drills every day. 
And then you just reward it. Like we, we chart it, we celebrate it, we reward it if, and, and you get to play. Um, you know, the, the downside, the devil's advocate to really crashing the offensive boards is transition defense. Cause if you don't get it, then you're setting yourself up. And I just said, you know what, we've got, something's got to give. And uh, I would rather have more chances on offense than give up two or three layups a game in transition. Like I just, you know, half our shots are threes anyway. If you, if you do the math, we're still in a good spot. Um, and so that's where, you know, you're not going to, if you're a crack four people to the glasses, which is what we did, um, you're not going to be the best transition defensive team in the conference, but I just weighed pros and cons. And, and, and honestly, the analytics of it, it's like, it, yes, we're going to give up a couple layups in the game where you're like, ah, oh, but over the course of 40 minutes, we're going to give ourselves maybe three or four more chances that we get maybe two threes out of that. We win. So, and that's the chance battle we're going to come back to, but just staying on the defensive transition, is that also a little bit of not every team runs, not every team's going to take advantage of Correct. advantage in that sense too. Right. So you're kind of yeah. playing those percentages. Yeah. Um, and there are teams in our league that are, that they'll make you pay Oregon, Stanford. I mean, those guys, if, if you're not on point with your transition D you will get, you will get, you'll feel it. Mm-hmm. Uh, UCLA, they'll do it too, but yeah. I mean, there, there's a, a lot of teams don't run that fast. So if, if we can, or, or don't push that much, they, they can run fast, but uh, that's not who they are. So, but there are teams where it's got to be a little bit, we've got to be a little more tuned in to be getting back, sprinting back and matching up on shooters. And uh, so when you send four to the offensive boards, do they have spots or are they, they free to go find the ball? Yeah. Uh, yes. Ish spots. We have, we have a, a safety, which is usually our point guard, right? Or if it's, if our point guards in the key doing a play, then it'd become our two. And then we have what we call a trash man, which goes to the top of the key and it kind of cleans up the trash. Is that like, a designated player every? Uh, yeah. Well, it's five? kind of to their strengths. Okay. Like if somebody's good at that, has a nose for it, can chase them. Like Kennedy McQueen for us was our trash man last year. She, she was a tremendous rebounder. Um, but she had the green light to just, if she sees something, go get it. Uh, and and kind of a tipped rebound or whatever. Um, she was our trash man. And then the other three, just get in there. There's no positions. Just fly in. Um, you know, and, and over 40 minutes, you can wear people down. Everybody's scattering port is box out. But in the third, fourth quarter, especially at elevation, people, you can tend to forget the, the box out part. And that's when we can kind of uh, take advantage. That's great stuff. And the chance battle, uh, you know, you say chances chances are still key. Is this something, again, you're creating this emphasis within every practice and you're charting this and that's how you're bringing this to light for your players? Yeah. So we we have a whiteboard in practice that we use and it, and it, uh, it there's six categories and it's very easy. So every player has their name on the whiteboard and it's big. It's like a big whiteboard and it's charted live. Uh, so it's a great, if you take a great shot, which would be a cowbell, you get a tally. If you take a death shot, you get a tally, which is an air horn. And then we have 50-50 loose ball, big time rebounds. That would be a cowbell. So if you chase down one or you're in the middle and you come down with it when improbably, uh, you know, you dive on the floor or whatever, that's a cowbell and you get a tally. And then if you turn it over, it's an air horn and you get a tally. And then we added this year, uh, made layup, missed layup. So we missed a lot of baskets, a lot of shots around the basket that we need to convert. Um, so that's an emphasis this year of just finishing better. So same thing. So it's simple, 
but those are the chances um, in terms of we want to take great shots. We want to not turn it over, but, you know, emphasize like when you can't stop practice every time someone turns it over, but you can make them aware of it. And then at the end of the day, they look at their totals. Are they in the plus or minus where we're at as a team? Some days are good. Some days aren't, but it's, it's a tangible thing for them to look at and be like, okay, when we're looking at what really matters, what we really chart, where am I at? And then we post that in the locker room at the end of the week. Like it's consistent. So it's been working. They've yeah, it. it worked great this year. If you look at your numbers and your percentages and, and um, you know, you referenced death shots. So let's, let's talk about those a little bit. I mean, uh, three point shots and then at the Ram, the highest, uh, you know, percentage by a large margin margin. And then specifically you go to catch and shoot, right. As yep. another great shot is a catch and shoot versus shooting off the dribble, and then, of course, runners, which every trainer on Instagram is training runners. And I'm like, runners are the worst shot. <laughs> They're the worst and the hardest yeah. to make. And it's it's just not a good shot. Even yeah. for the, the best players in the world, don't make them consistently. Right. And if you're talking about point per shot, points per shot attempt, they're the lowest. It's like point four or something like that. Um, and so you, it's just not a good shot. And so we have death shots. So we have our shot chart. Um, and maybe I'm getting ahead, but we don't give our players the normal stat sheet. So they can't look at it and say, oh, I went four for 10 and I had 18 points and the thing, the deal, I free throws. We give them shot quality sheets. And then we have a shot chart uh, and we have a scale. We created a scale to where it's plus and minus and there's different things, but they know it. Um, and then we can see after game, you know, we don't, we don't meet after games. Uh, that's something unique to me, I think. I don't know very many people that don't, but I just learned after games, it's emotional. Games are emotional, whether you win or lose, and nothing productive was done in those post-game meetings. And so it gave me a, a chance to cool down or come down from a high or cool down from a loss and really evaluate um, analytically and kind of with some objectivity of how we really played. And, and then the next morning, we'll give them this smart box box sheet and it goes over all the things that matter. So, and it also takes into account, you know, if I play 10 minutes and you play 30, your, your numbers are going to be higher on a normal stat sheet, but that doesn't mean you're more efficient. Uh, and so we want to value efficiency no matter what your role is. So even if I only played 10, my numbers might be higher than yours because I was more efficient mm. um, with all things, rebounds, you know, it's so we do everything per 40 minutes. What was your efficiency for 40 minutes? What was mine for 40 minutes, even though we played different amount of minutes? So that really helps to, to be objective in uh, rotations and playing time. And, you know, sometimes you can get lost in the fog with a rotation thinking this is my best rotation. Then you look at the numbers and say, that isn't my best rotation or whatever. Um, so it helps me as well, as well as it helps the players a lot. Uh, so I want to dive deeper with that. But one thing you said is don't meet after the game. So I just want to, if you don't mind sharing, what does that actually look like? Because I've read about some pro soccer coaches in particular not doing that for the yeah. same reason. And I can totally agree. I don't think anything productive I ever did no. after a game. So saying I want to do that in the future, what does that actually look like? Do you literally not go in the locker room and there's yeah. no type of summary? So, yeah. Players? Whether we're home or away, we don't meet. Yeah. And what it requires is that you have players that aren't going to then take, you know, the coaching into their own hands. Uh, so you can't have a, a locker room where they're doing, they're calling each other out or whatever. It's, it's a commitment to like, all right, 
and, and I tell him, if we win, celebrate, go crazy, go ham. Like you need to celebrate the successes. If we lose, just sleep on it. Like just sleep on it and then we'll address it tomorrow. And so it, it requires that first of all, like you have to set the table with your players of here's why we're doing it. Here's the expectation from you. Trust me, it it's beneficial. And we don't have a problem with that, but so after the game, honestly, road or home, they're done. Um, at home, we have a little on-the-court thing. Fans can come down for 15 minutes, sign autographs. It's really fun. Even And even if you lose, it kind of gives you perspective that, that like life's going to go on. These people still think we're great. Like it, It's basketball, uh, even though we're all ticked off. Um, you know, And then that's it. They go do their thing. They go whatever their postgame looks like, they go do it. And then the next morning, whenever we have practice, we practice in the morning. So it might be 9 a.m. or whatever. We come in and we meet and I hand out the smart box and we go over it. And I'm able to then say to them, what do you guys win or lose? What do you guys think we did well? What do you guys think we need to get better at? And it's amazing what that time, the emotion, like the the space that you give them, they're way more open to discuss. They're way more willing to be like, you know, we could have won by 20. Uh, we didn't, we didn't rotate on defense very well. We didn't rebound very well. We were a little, you know, da, 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 da. or we could have lost by 20. We rebounded pretty well. We, you know, whatever they're, they're much more engaged in the conversation. And and I think anytime you can get players to engage and, and those are moments too, I think as a coach, you watch the film back. And if you see things that you could have done better as a coach, which happens and any coach that says that's not true is lying. Uh, it's a chance for you as a coach to stand up and say, you know what? I should have done this at this point, win or lose. I could have done this. And then the moment you do that, then they start doing the same thing. So there's this kind of process over results. How are we getting better? It's been great. I've done it for a long time now, maybe 10 years. And uh, I, I'll never go back to meeting after games because I've, I've screwed it up where you, you know, you lose on a last second tip in and you come in and you, you know, get after Chris who didn't box out. And then you watch the, and Chris feels like crap already. Chris already knows that we lost. And then you watch the film and Chris did box out. The mm-hmm. other kid just made an incredible play, but I can't take back what I've said. So it's just a way to kind of control emotions and just be really a lot more process oriented with the game and evaluating performance. I love it. And it also strikes me again, how players don't really want to have a long meeting after games anyways. Oh, no. so. and, and my, <laughs> when I was at Pacific, the athletic director there, Ted Leland, he was at Stanford for a long time and just an incredible leader. And he really understood the business and understood coaches. And I really credit him for, uh, you know, being where I am today. He helped me a lot, just kind of, he coached the coach, but I'm so competitive that uh, you know, he would, he, I remember one time he pulled me aside and he was like, Lynn, you got to understand this is what you do for a living. They care just as much as you, they just care in a different way. So you don't need to rub their noses in it. Like they know, and they players care. They can't, they'll care in a different way than you do because you're getting paid and this is your vocation, but they're still 1920. They still have other things going on They're You know, they're young, uh, but don't ever think that they don't care. They just might show it in a different way and you've got to figure, and that really resonated with me of like, yeah, of course they care. Of course they know, like they don't need to be 
scolded after a loss or after a poor performance. They need to be shown how to be better and encouraged. So it's helped me a lot. Just kind of also manage my intensity and competitiveness. <laughs> I love it. And I think, thank you for sharing this because I think there's a lot of coaches that feel the same and now have some, some feeling of power empowerment to do it because they've yeah. heard someone like you say they do it. So thank yeah. you. Of course. Yeah. And, um, Going back to the smart box score, because I think this is another thing that I thought when you mentioned this to me, it was like, okay, yes. Because again, we know the traditional box score doesn't give the information that really adds value to your team or your players. So uh, talk to us a little bit how this evolved and then maybe give us a brief overview. Yeah, so it evolved um, last after last season when you know we just did kind of a deep, total nerded out dive into what Matt, like how do we win games? The Pac-12 is so competitive and, and the coaching is unbelievable. Uh, it's just elite. And and then, you know, you're playing every night against the WNBA pick. Like there's just, it's the, it's razor thin, the, what makes a great team, what makes a good team. Like, it's just, there is no, unlike some other leagues, you know, the 12, the team that might finish 12th in the Pac-12 is still really good and hard to beat. And so, okay, how do we, win the games we're supposed to win how are we and and give ourselves a shot to to win the games that maybe we shouldn't win or aren't aren't favorite to win um and so that's where that was the impetus for it that's where it started and we did a deep dive into what makes the teams great and again it comes down to the things i talked about in terms of chances like you know you think like oh free throws free throws really aren't a variable in winning um which surprised me you know, mm -hmm. I thought that would be a big one. The pace of play, it doesn't really matter. Hey, Coach, a brief interruption from our podcast to tell you about BasketballMersion.com. Get the most out of yourself and your players. Since 2014, thousands and thousands of coaches have become members of our community. We would love for you to join too, but don't just take our word for it. Listen to what a recent new member told us. I subscribed to Basketball Immersion on Monday. What an awesome site. Beats the crap out of Netflix. And here's what a long-term member told us. BDT and eliminating the fluff has been the reason we have become successful as a program. A basketball immersion membership has been our secret weapon. What are you waiting for? It's time to next level your players and team. Join our membership community at www.basketballimmersion.com. We look forward to sharing everything with you. Before you go on, talk to us about the free throws first and then pace of play, because those both stood out to me too. Right. Well, and that was surprising. I would have, yeah. you know, I would have predicted differently. And so for those of you that are listening, w w there was like kind of 10 indicators and we really evaluated across the 12 teams, ourselves included, kind of what are the, you know, what are the things that in terms of effective offense, effective defense that, that factor into winning and losing and the amount of free throws that you shot, the amount of free throws that you made, where I think it was ninth out of 10th in, in value. Uh, and then pace of play, which I would have thought mattered. It really doesn't because it kind of waters itself out with turnovers and shot. Like it, it, it really isn't, you can play fast and win, but you can also play slow and win. That's the bottom line. You mm -hmm. can shoot a lot of free throws and win. You can shoot not very many and win. Um, so that, you know, but, the the top of the list is if you're not a good defensive rebounding team, you're not going to win in the Pac-12. If you're not a good offensive rebounding team, you're not going to win in the Pac-12. If you're not a good shooting team in terms of effective field goal percentage, taking into account threes and twos, free throws, you're not going to win. 
So those are the things that we thought, okay, so we, we figured out what the top three or four are. Okay. We're going to hone in on those things. And, um, and that's what the smart box, that was kind of the creation of the smart box. So we created our own kind of shot chart, shot quality chart. Um, again, not talking with kids about, did you make or miss it? Cause you're capable of making and missing. Did you take a great shot? If you did, it's a, it's a, it, then you're going to get credit for that on the sheet. If you took a death shot and made it, you, it's still a death shot. And what is a death shot? It's the lowest percentage shots in basketball across the board, NBA, WNBA, college men, college women, it, it it's universal. So don't take them. Now, if there's two seconds left on the shot clock, don't turn it over, take that shot. But we don't want to take those unless there's the, it's, you know, made a situation. We got to take a shot, but, and so we, we value all of that. And so they they get a numeric value. Um, the highest you can get is five. The lowest you can get is zero on any shot. And so through the course of the game, you'll get a shot chart. You'll get a shot quality value. And then as a team, we'll get a shot quality value. And then we also do the same for our opponents. And I'm not kidding you. It is almost to every game. If we had a higher shot quality number than our opponent, we won. And I mean, that kind of just speaks to it. And it's not, oh, you made more shots. It's the shots we took. It doesn't mean the other team didn't score. It's the quality of shots they took, the quality of shots we took. So we chart that. Then it then it comes down to the chances. So we chart rebounding um, and we call it kind of rebounding 50-50. So you could chase down a rebound like crazy and, and not come up with it. You're still going to get rewarded for that. Um, you dive on the floor. So it's not just... Because if you're six six and you're the center and you don't take off in transition, you're going to get more defensive rebounds. So again, it's not just the number of rebounds; it's the number of pursuits, and it's you know the fifty fifty stuff where it's like who it, it could be anybody's ball, whether it's a loose ball, a, a, a scramble. Um, if you're engaged in that, you're going to get rewarded. Because again, it comes down to chances, and then every and then we have turnovers. So same thing charting that. And then instead of assists, we chart good passes. So a good pass might be, I pass to you, you pass to the person who makes a shot rather than me trying to thread the needle and skip it. I'm going to get credit for that. So are you. Um, I'm trying to think what else is on there. I don't have it in front of me, but so it's, it's basically those things. And then, but it's per 40 minutes. Again, going back to what I said about it, it, it negates you played more than me. So your numbers are higher. I love this. And I'll share, I'll look and see if there's other ones that we missed. But uh, the one thing that stands out to me is, again, let's just go from shot quality. You're evaluating shots independent of outcome. Correct. And and, and you're evaluating rebounds independent of outcome. Correct. And to a certain extent, passes independent of outcome as well. Obviously, one of the outcomes could be turnover, which is bad. But um, that idea, right? Yes. And everything, I say it every day, it's process over results. It's mm-hmm. process over results. We have to continue to get better. We have to, you know, people say trust the process. So what does that really mean? I don't really even, I don't even know what that means. It's just, we're going to be about process. So if we did everything we were supposed to do and we lost, that's okay. Like you're not going to, sometimes teams are better than you, or sometimes you don't, you know, they play out of their heads or, you know, you things happen that are outside of your control, right? But we can control our process and our focus. And I think last year is a testament to if we if we really do focus on these processes and and this kind of stuff and we got total buy in from them too because they started to see the results. Uh, 
then the score takes care of itself. Like it will be what it'll be, but we are getting better. Yeah. You're not trusting the process. I agree with that. It's you're putting the process to action and showing them how it connects both in practice and games to obviously outcome. And you don't totally control the outcome, but we're more likely to be successful if we take care of these things. Exactly. Exactly. You said it much better than me. Well, I had time to think about it. I mean, you're again, I removed emotion from it, coach. So we're all good. (laughs) Okay, good, 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 good. Okay. I want to talk about the passing one. Um, this is great. So, uh, talk to us then. I mean, you gave the obvious one, kind of the Gretzky assist, the pass that leads to the pass. What, what are some other positive passing, um, results? I think, and it doesn't have to lead to a basket and we're not just every time they pass around the horn, it's not a good pass, but if you have a decision to throw it into the post or make the easy decision, which is a little more challenging, that skill is declining uh and you make you make a great pass and she botches the the catcher you know misses or whatever that's still a good it's the decision to do the right thing um you know i think so much of turnovers is kids trying to do too much like don't like let the let the game let the spacing let the movement create shots you don't have to create a shot for somebody else every time you touch it or for yourself well, you're rewarding the person that draws two, right? And kicks it. And it may exactly. not go directly to the shot, but that's a great example that we brought up exactly. earlier. So it's the decision you're making. Like, am I making the right decision with what I do with the ball? And if it's a good pass, sometimes it can be an assist. Like, oh, great decision. And that happened to be an assist. Or sometimes it's like, great decision to just get rid of it here and not try to do too much. Another good pass. Turnovers are yeah. all all turnovers, bad turnovers. Yes. Okay. So then how are we evaluating the turnover relative to the passer or relative to the catcher? Or sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. Both. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, But yeah, turnovers are, are bad, bad, bad. Uh, They're the bane of my existence. And, you know, I've evolved in that. I used to say, well, we play fast, so turnover is going to happen, which is, you have more possessions, possessions. you know, there's going to be more opportunities for turnovers. However, we don't want to be okay with turning it over. And we're talking about turnover percentage anyways. We're not talking about the total number, right? It's relative to correct per yeah. hundred possessions. Yeah. So that's kind of what the, that's how effective, you know, efficiency is, is rated is over a hundred possessions. So uh, yeah, turnovers are bad. And, and we, I think it's on that sheet I sent you, but if we were if 14%, and that's about the the uh, average in the Pac-12 of of the teams that win. It's about fourteen point six percent, I think. Um, and so we, our goal is always to get you know, are we want the number of turnover, the percentage value. So again, it's not let's have twelve or less. Well, you might have forty possessions and twelve's way too many. You might have a hundred possessions and twelve is you know really good. So we want it to be fourteen percent or less of our possessions or turnovers, which sounds like a lot, but that's kind of the median in our league um, of good teams. So talk to me, because this is up my wheelhouse too. We both love decision-making clearly. So talk to me then, how about you, how do you develop this freedom in decision-making and still reinforce the reality of, we don't want to turn it over because again, sometimes when you're making some, some, some of the passes your players throw could be described as others as brave passes. Yeah. You know, they jump, they leave their feet or they're wrapping around someone to throw it to someone in space. And usually almost every time I saw it, it was the right decision. So how do you develop that? 
That's a great question and a great point because you you want to, you know, it sounds counterintuitive, like play free, but don't turn it over. Like, that's like, I don't know how to do it. It's like, but I, I think it comes down again to process. So, and, and not just in terms of, you know, oh, it sounds good to say, but we're playing all the time. We're doing live stuff all the time. And again, one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-four, uh, where, the, I mean, we're working on different things. It might be dribble handoffs. It might be high ball screens, but then once we go through the action that we're working on, they're finishing the play. They're they're working on it. So I say all the time, like learn what you're able to do. Learn like, okay, you, you know, Chris, you over dribbled there. That's one dribble too many for you. So next time, just one less dribble, then kick it out. Like, but then the 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 process part of the of the reminders is every time they turn it over, there's an air horn. And that's not fun. Right. And so there's kind of a it's a push and pull of learning in practice what you're capable of doing. Um, and it's not perfect. Right. Like, but I, you know, my role in it is I have to teach rather than um, discipline. So teach through practice, through live play. Everything's easy five on O. Oh. I mean, you know, if you're turning it over in five on oh, I, that's that's gonna you're gonna be in trouble. But you got to learn how to play with defense and with reacting because the defense isn't gonna do what the play wants you to do anyway. Sometimes, right? Um, so they've got to learn how to react, read and react, and then just through practice. And you know, it's as simple as giving them a cowbell when they make a great play. It, it isn't, and, and when they turn it over, they get an air horn. It's not like get on the line. We don't have to do that. We got to reinforce this point, coach, because I've been talking to so many coaches about that, that they spend when I evaluate a practice or watch a practice, you spend way too much time on consequences. And it takes away from actually them playing basketball, which is when they're actually learning and getting better. Yep. And my and this happened yesterday. We had a workout. I got on them because a couple of our freshmen weren't playing as hard as we expect. And I told them the only thing that will make me lose my mind is if you don't give full effort, I can handle any mistake you make. But if you're not going to give me full effort, you are not going to make it. Like you're going to, you're going to sit by me the whole game and be frustrated. So I think if they're going as hard as they can, you're teaching. Each kid is different too. Some kids are great at passing. Some aren't, some are great at attacking some like you got to, it's not, you know, one size fits all in terms of what you're teaching. But then if you're rewarding the success and reminding of like, hey, we don't want that. I mean, it, it sounds so silly, but it really is just an air horn. And, uh, and then we have the whiteboard. Acknowledgement, right? And they know it. They know what yep. it means. But practice doesn't stop. Yeah. But practice doesn't stop. Now, if they're, this doesn't happen, but, you know, if they were just being careless with it and not giving a crap about, you know, just mm-hmm. throwing the balls, throwing off the walls, then we might run a, you know, like get on the line. But I don't know that I had to do that one time last year, to be honest. So um, you know, we have good kids that bought into it, um, to make it effective. It always struck me as this, is that players are not trying to miss shots and they're right. not trying to turn the ball over. So if you come back to that as a coach and constantly think in those terms, it's like, they're not trying to do that. Right. It's just something that happened. <laughs> and we learn that as we get older in coaching, like mm-hmm. I love listening, you know, at games and people are like, make your free throws. <laughs> I don't think they're trying to miss. No, right? they are not. <laughs> don't turn it over. Well, why did they turn it over? Let's yeah. say maybe don't over dribble or see the weak side help or whatever. 
Um, I've gotten better at that because I think I was guilty of screaming, you know, make your free throws. But that's, to be honest, why we've added to our whiteboard and to the chances thing of uh, made layups and missed layups. Like, those are contagious. I tell you, when teams start missing shots around the rim in women's basketball, everyone starts missing them. Conversely, if you start making them, the rim just gets bigger. So we're going to make an emphasis on just finishing. Um, we, if we get a shot at the rim, we got we to, gotta, you know, convert those at a high high tick. Uh, not to get into the fan thing too much, but I do wish fans listened to the podcast like this, for example. And because I think the brilliance of what you're sharing and so many coaches, we've been so grateful on this podcast, have just normalized things. Yeah. Whereas I think fans and media, they don't understand what's normal. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, and at the end of the day, these are, you know, in my world, these are young people that really want to do well and they want to do right. And, uh, and our job as college coaches is to help them along. And sometimes they need a kick in the tail, but most oftentimes they just need some, some good instruction and some encouragement. Right. Um, and and some honesty, honesty, yeah. which is what your numbers give them is honesty. Yes. And there's no, yeah, there's no uh, interpretation of that into, you know, nuanced. Um, but I'm a huge believer too, in the power of confidence. I think, again, I've never coached men. I don't know if it's any different, but with women, uh, confident players are, are a much, much, much better team. Skill equals confidence, right? Totally. It's pretty simple. You get more skilled, you're more confident, you have more solutions, you have more possibilities and yep. I can't say that more. And, and and decisions are a skill, just to clarify that for people. They sure are. And some players come in with no, a bit like they've never had to make this, like they, they haven't played, they have the, all the pieces to be an elite college player, but they haven't been um, in a system or coached or whatever in a way that puts them in the position where they have to think while they play. Um, and that's why we play so much in practice to come kind of come around is, I want them to learn how to think so that they're not thinking when we're playing games. It's, it's more instinctive. Um, so that's kind of the big picture goal. Like I want you guys to learn through the pain of thinking and the mistakes that happen with that in practice so that when the games come, you're not, you know, and I think the le- the, the less that I do in a game, the better we are. So it's not about me. It's not about the magic play. If I don't have to do much during a game, we're probably playing pretty dang well. Um, and that's a, I mean, that's talent. Talent helps with that, but it's also the productiveness of practice and, and the process part. So do you try and sit down during games? Yeah, I do. I yeah. do. Um, have you had, ever had any blowback on that from people saying, oh, you're not coaching? You're not. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I have. <laughs> And you want to uh, say to them, have you been at every hour we've been with them all I, week? Like, yeah. I, I've over my years, I've I've gotten some pretty thick skin to where I I don't even I read it, but I don't really absorb it. Um, you know, I, I don't. Really- I'm here to advocate on behalf of you and other coaches because that stuff I just find crazy that that people would even consider the fact that you standing up in a game or not right. has any impact. <laughs> right. I know. Uh, right. Exactly. Um, and I'll, I'll stand up and stuff if, if, you know, to try to get the team going or whatever, but if I'm not needed, I will happily sit down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause again, I, I really, it's not about me. It's I loved me. sitting down. I was a better yeah, coach sitting down too, cause it, yeah. it removed emotion somewhat too. Okay. Um, and I'm not anti-coaches standing up either. I'm not saying that I'm just sure. saying 
you'd be able to be who you are. And nobody should interpret that as coaching or not coaching. True. And and that's something I learned over the years too. When I got my first head job, I was 25 at a division two. And this was at the, the, you know, the rise and peak of the Pat Summit era. Mm. And I wanted to be Pat Summit, just like every other young coach. And so I thought I needed to coach like her and just be that intense, whatever. And it worked, but that's not who I am. Like, that's just not me. And I learned over, over the years, like you, you have to be your authentic self as a coach. Cause players can read it too. Like they know if you're putting on an act or if it's genuine. Um, so I've, I've had to learn that too, the hard way. Yeah, we all have, we all have, you know, but again, like whose authentic self is angry all the time. Like it just, right. not I someone mean, that you're going to run through a wall for. Like, no, it just doesn't make and sense. You, and you think, I'm sure that wasn't Pat Summits either, no. right? Like that's not who she was, but that's what we saw. Exactly. And, and again, a, a young female coach, cause she was young when she started too. like, did she have to, did she feel like she had to do that? You know, just like you as a young coach felt like you yeah. had to do that because again, females in coaching get looked at differently. Yeah. There was an element for me of like, I've got, you know, I was, I wasn't that much older than some of the players and I felt like I had to assert my, um, I don't know if con- control sounds bad, but I had to assert myself like, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm in charge here. And I look back and it's kind of like, I roll my eyes at myself. Like that was like, <laughs> you tried a little too hard. Uh, but I think, yeah. And I think to your point too, you know, women, don't get the benefit of the doubt uh, in this profession, especially the young ones. And even now I'll get emails from gentlemen that because I coach women and because I am a woman, they, they know more Um, and they very well might, but it's, it's kind of, there's no way they're doing that to the, to the men's coach in my equivalent position. There's no way. That's crazy. I just don't get that. And and again, we've had so many great female coaches on this podcast. And that's one thing I would say is that they all seem like they're coaching their authentic self. And that to me is, is awesome. And, uh, you know, that should be the way it is for everyone from youth level on up. So yeah, I agree. Um, getting away from that a little bit, let's get back to, uh, uh, maybe how do you look to improve turnover percentage throughout this season then? Cause we, we know the value of it now. How do you look to improve it? And you've already talked about it's not an on-air drill. It's not a 5-on-0 drill. You play in practice. But beyond that, what are some things? Well, I think, again, it comes down to, um, well, there's a couple of things. I think you it, players help, let's be honest, right? Like recruiting players that are a little, a little, a little more skilled, skill helps. So skill development, um, it, it's not a quick fix. It's not a light switch. Like, okay, we're going to take care of the ball. Like you have to work at it. Um, but I also think, you know, if, if a play takes eight passes to get the shot you want, there's eight times that you're going to risk a turnover there. Mm. So, uh, now it's not saying, you know, one pass and shots, good offense, but if, if you have a, a set or a quick hitter, we have a lot of quick hitters. I don't want them long developing. Let's have one to two passes before we get the look we want. And, and just to bring that home, like a lot of possessions I saw you guys run, it's direct to ball screen. Correct. It's not a lot of masking actions. It's direct to ball screen. Right. And that's why, because yeah. it, you have to reverse it twice and you're playing somebody that's more athletic than you or faster or more aggressive defensively, which happens to us in our league. You're just, it's a, it's a, it's Russian roulette. Like there's a really good chance. You're never going to get to that action. So I try to put our stuff to where it's pretty quick hitting 
And um, there's not a lot. I mean, we do. I do love misdirection, but it's not going to take 12 seconds. It might take three or four. Can I tell you a funny thing that I just watched? Is that your your first play against Texas when you ran the three dribble handoffs and then had the player lift on the lane line and go back door? Yeah, fumbled the first handoff almost. And I'm like, it totally brings home your point, right? Exactly. All that masking action almost screwed up a most beautiful play to attack a team that's aggressive. Precisely. Precisely. (laughs) Uh, and man, we had to come up with some stuff there that day in between the games of like, how are we going to get some pressure relief hits? Oh, it was a great play. It was brilliant because yeah. then, again, they're so aggressive. They're so aggressive and so physical. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. They're good. They're, they're, the way they play is, is is tough, especially down there. Yeah, that was a fun game to watch for sure. And, um, you know, with that, again, uh, you talked about catch and shoot as being yeah. more valuable than off the dribble shots. Yep. So are you doing any off the dribble type of shooting? In- yeah, we do. Okay. We do. Yeah. But it's um, and, and when we talk about like pull ups, they've got to be like we want to take pull ups, you know, in the, the, the arc circle there and the free throw line. We want pull ups like in that zone. Mm hmm. It has a, it's, it, I mean, if, again, I'm going to sound like a dork, but if you look at, uh, the, it's just with the rim and the backboard, it has more of a chance to fall in. You can miss and still make it more so that if it's, if it's at a 45 degree angle and for sure, short corners are terrible shots from mid range. Um, so when we do, when we do work on the pull-ups off the dribble, uh, that's where we do it is in that zone. So coming off a ball screen, if you can get to there and get your feet under you and, and you're open, then that's a great shot. Yeah. Um, now we'll do off the dribble threes as well. We catch shot, fake pull dribble one way or the other. So we'll do a lot of that. Um, but the so catch and shoot reset to get the three kind of. Off the yeah. yeah. Yep. We do a lot of that. We did that yesterday. We did there's yeah. a 10 minute shooting drill. Where they get about, I don't know, hundred threes in where they're in their gas, but it's all footwork threes. So We'll do a lot of that, um, but the the kick out catch and shoot three is the the best three to get. Mm-hmm. And, and the challenge for me a little bit is like I, I understand this and I believe this exactly what you're saying. And for me, shooting off the dribble, say going between your legs and shooting it, is great for developing rhythm of players. So developing their rhythm on the lift of the ball and sure. the consistency of one motion. But you know, you're doing that at the same time. Like for my 11 year old daughter, like we're doing that, but at the same time, I'm going. I don't want you to ever shoot this shot (laughs) in a game, but it's like, this is helping you understand your rhythm when you do catch and shoot. hundred percent. And and that's where the skill development piece is a little, a little more broad scoped than, you know, the shots that we want to take in live play. It's great stuff. It's really fun to dive deep and then not just put it again, just not the numbers. And you can dork out on this podcast because this is the one for that. But uh, I know that's why I like your stuff. <laughs> just brilliant connections. Coach, I mean, so many amazing things you've shared, as you said. But uh, one thing it struck me is I was watching your team play is just like, again, I, my daughters, who knows what they end up doing. But when I look at kind of college teams, I go now, OK, would I like my daughters to play in that type of system and play for that type of uh, coach in that program? And yours absolutely nails everything they just the way they play so beautiful and uh they seem to play together and just just great things well i appreciate that that is an ultimate compliment so thank you uh and we have seen that in recruiting um we're you know we're in on we've gotten some incredible talent here that that's here now and and who we're signing and and who we're in on uh for the the you know the the younger kids um, and it and it really does come down to that. Like they watch us on TV or whatever. They watch our games, 
and they see themselves as a, in a system that like, oh, that would be really fun to play in. And that's what I want. I want, um, you know, these top level kids to say, all right, we can go there and play in a system that's going to play to my strengths and, uh, you know, and, and, and have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, and winning is fun. Losing is no fun. So we're going to win and play a style that's, that's fun to play in. And it's fun to coach too. Like we, we, uh, I enjoy it. It's a, it gives me, you know, I can nerd out and do the dorky things that I love to do with basketball, but it also enables them to have some freedom and, and have fun playing. And particularly just to add to that, it must be that fun at practice, right? And that's where if I'm a recruit sitting in the stands watching how you guys practice, I imagine it looks different than some other practices. And that probably connects with them too. Yeah, I'm not, we'll practice hard for an hour and a half. Uh, and and that's good. There's, I don't, I don't want to stand around and hear myself talk. I know they don't want to stand around and hear me talk. Um, so our practices are fast. I'm not a big, you know, we're not going to, I'm not going to teach something for 20 minutes. I'm going to teach something for two minutes and then you're going to do it for 18 and get better at it. And that's just, it's, it's more fun that way. And, and, you know, one of our key tenants is fun. Uh, we have three words, grind, grit, fun, and, and it's gotta be fun. So we play music and we laugh when it's funny. And even in the serious moments, if something funny happens, like it's okay to laugh. <laughs> like we're playing basketball. We're not curing cancer. Uh, let's, uh, let's not take ourselves too seriously. But let's enjoy the opportunity we get that basketball gives us all. And we all play better when we're relaxed, don't we? True. And we coach better too. <laughs> we coach better. And thank you for sharing those, th those things that help you relaxed and coach better as well. So amazing conversation. Thanks coach for sharing the game. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on Chris. Coach. Thanks for listening to the basketball podcast. We appreciate your ongoing support. Please consider going to basketballimmersion.com and immersionvideos.com to check out all the products we have to offer. We appreciate your support and we look forward to continuing to share the game with you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.